Turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians. Go to chapter 6 with me. We want to look at verses uh, 5 through 9. Now, Paul comes to this place here, servants unto the Lord. Paul's going to be speaking about a bondservant. He's going to be speaking about this relationship of a servant. They're called slaves unto their masters, their owners. And it's a hard concept for us. But if you're taking notes back in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 23, Moses writes about a bondservant. You see, in the time of the Old Testament and also in the time of the New Testament, there was slavery. But let us understand the type of slavery that it was. Usually when you owed an owner and you couldn't pay the debt, you became a slave, a servant uh, to that owner for seven years. And you served him diligently. And generally, if the owners treated you right, they would bless you at the end of your service. And on basically after seven years of service, you had a choice. You could remain with that owner, that master, and then continue to live the rest of your life. Or you could take your freedom. But in Deuteronomy chapter 15, if you chose to stay with that master, they were, you were taken outside and you went to the doorpost and they basically, they took your ear and they placed it on the doorpost. They would take an owl. It was spelled A-U-L. It was a type of a nail. And they would drive it through the earlobe. And then they would place a signet ring. You had your freedom, but you chose now to stay with your master. And then you would go through the marketplace. They would see the signet ring. And they say, that slave now belongs to master so-and-so. When we come to Christ, it's by choice. Nobody forces us into the kingdom of God. And we become a slave to God by choice. Now, in our vernacular, we don't understand, we don't like the word slavery if we've read our history. But in the world, either we're a slave to sin or we're a slave to the appetites of sin. Or now we come to Christ and by choice I'm a slave to God. And he actually doesn't place a signet ring, but he places the mark of the Holy Spirit upon us and we belong to him. And so in this time, we're going to read here, Paul's addressing the church at Ephesus. In, in the time of the Roman period, there was estimated about 6 million slaves. And it's obvious many of them were coming to know Christ, were coming to saving grace. And so Paul teaches this area, you're a bond slave to Christ, be a bond servant unto your masters. Serve them diligently. And so what about us this morning in our workplaces? We should have ethics of how to work. Most of us, you go back and your parents instilled those ethics of work. Your dad should have instilled ethics of work. You come into school, you come in uh, to your first workplace, and you learn to, some of the guys, you, you learn the, the workplace, the ethics in the military or in the sports endeavor. You learn these things, and you learn how to work. And so Paul's addressing this area, a bondservant to your master, but what about unto the Lord? And so a lot of times, and I've been in the workplace in years back, and sometimes we run into a boss, be it a male or female, and we're not too content with them. They're mean, they're evil, they're harsh. The Bible says we serve them as unto the Lord. Very important to see that. Now, let's just begin here. I want to read verses 5 through 9, and then we're going to go back up and make some commentary. He begins here and he says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as to Christ. And here's the key, and we're going to study that this morning. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as a bondservant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, uh, doing service 
as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or he is free. He concludes in verse 9, and you masters. So he comes to this last little section, and he goes to the owners now. And you masters, do the same thing to them, giving up threatenings. Knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So a responsibility if you're an owner. If you're a boss, let's pray real quick. Father, as we get into our study now, speak to us in clarity, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Challenge our hearts, Lord. If we're Christian this morning, whatever the workplace that I might be in, I do my work. I do my service as unto the Lord. Teach us now in Jesus' name we pray. Look at verse 5 again. Bond servants. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. He says, with fear, with trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now that last portion is hard. I don't want to serve in fear and trembling. I don't like to work in sincerity. Pastor Bob, you don't know my boss. She's mean. He's mean. They're evil, Lord. But listen to what Paul's saying here. Now if you have a King James, they, they use the word servant. If you have a new King James, they use the word bondservant. But here's the best translation. If you have an NIV, it uses the word slave. And the word slave here in the Greek is a, a doulos. And it's very important. Now, a, a diakonos is a servant. A diakonos is one that does the menial tasks. A diakonos is one that waits on tables, cleans the tables, and such. It's the one that would be at the bottom of the galley of the ship. And actually roaring. Now, uh, you come to this place now. And you consider yourself a, a slave, a bond servant. It's by choice. Nobody can force you. It's by choice. A doulos. A slave, voluntary or involuntary. A bond slave or bondman, bondwoman. A servant by choice as a Christian. Listen to this commentary now. There were some six million slaves in Rome at this time. And obviously not by choice many. Yet Paul uses the word slaves in reference to Christian slaves by choice. Paul did not attack the place of Roman slavery, but he applied it to our responsibility of serving the Lord as to serving your masters, as to serving your owners. As to serving your bosses. For our understanding today, our employers, we are to serve them in the workplace as unto the Lord. We're to obey them as unto the Lord. The word that we see here in the Greek is hupoako. It means to be under their obedience by listening to them and doing what they say in the workplace. I mean, we've been in those workplaces and we're asked to do a task and we're not happy with it. Why not give it to this person or why not give it to that person? And yet, we're to do these things as unto the Lord. And notice how we obey our masters. It says here, obey your bosses with fear. It is the word terror. With trembling, it is the word quaking. With sincerity or a generous heart. As you would serve Christ. You go to your workplace on Monday morning through Friday. You serve your company. You serve your boss. You serve as you would serve the Lord. As you would serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says here with terror, with, with quaking, with reverence, with a generous heart. Because you do it as unto the Lord. As Christians, now listen this morning, we should seek to be outstanding employees, cheerful employees, willing to do any task asked at the workplace because we do it as unto the Lord, not unto man. That is why employers many times and companies many times, bosses seek after Christians because they know their work ethics. But in, in the other hand, there's times that employers, owners will say, I don't want a Christian anymore in my workplace. I've seen what they do. They misrepresent God. Back in Southern California, when 
I wasn't in the ministry yet. I was still working in the secular world, going to Calvary Chapel there in West Covina, going to leadership training classes and such. One of our pastors, Xavier, shared a beautiful story with us, and he was speaking about serving. Serving in the capacity, whatever you're called. You're going to be called to McDonald's, serve as you would serve unto the Lord. Xavier had just gotten married, and his wife's expecting their first child. Work was important. He wasn't getting salary on the church yet, so he was working outside of the church. And he had this job, and he was happy with it, but then a big layoff comes. And he started praying, Lord, you know my wife's pregnant. Lord, you know I need this job. Lord, whatever you can do, I need to stay here. Well, there was this one position. And in his company, there were these huge vats. You had to actually climb in and then climb down inside the vat. They were huge. And the task there was to clean these ugly, stinky, dirty vats. Well, they had to go through seniority. And everybody refused. They took the layoff. And they came to Xavier. They said, now we ask you, we have one job available. Do you want to work in the vats? Or do you want to take the layoff? And he, you know, kind of threw it over. Nobody liked that job. And the Lord reminded him, remember you prayed. You asked for work. Here it is. And so lo and behold, he took the job in that first day. It was miserable. But he was inside these vats cleaning them out, and he's by himself. And so the light bulb went on, and he said, hey, ask him if you can bring in your Walkman. Ask him if you can bring in Pastor Chuck's uh, 2000 series and just go through it from Genesis to Revelation. And that's exactly what Xavier got to do for the next eight months. He was rejoicing in those vats, listening to Pastor Chuck's uh, series on, on the Bible. And God blessed it. God anointed it. Xavier looks at this passage, do your work as unto the Lord. And I think it's so important to do that, church. That God would see our hearts, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what you're doing. And so imagine these slaves unto their masters. And I'm sure that some of these masters were not the best owners, the best master to work for. And so Paul says, do it as unto the Lord. I want you to turn to a passage of Scripture before we continue further. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And here Paul, in speaking to the Corinthians, remember he was not there to abolish slavery. But Paul was there for the purpose of preaching the gospel. The gospel is what brought forth the abolishment of slavery. The gospel is what brought forth the change of man towards woman. They were treated bad. The gospel is what brings change in all of our lives. And so you learn it even in your work ethics. I don't like that, boss. And so the gospel begins to change you, transform you, as the Holy Spirit's working in and through you. And you're able to be sustained through that job. As Xavier was inside that vat, the ugliest job, the dirtiest job, and yet he rejoiced in it. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 17. He says, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I laid down in the churches. Paul's logic here, Paul's wisdom, it's obvious from the Lord, it's simple. Serve in the capacity you're in, whatever it might be. Serve it in diligence. Serve it in cheerfulness. Serve it in simplicity, not in difficulty. Serve it as unto the Lord. Look at verse 18. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he's called? He should not be circumcised. Paul looks at the law of circumcision, uncircumcision. That wasn't the issue for Paul. Let it go. Just serve God. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts, Paul said. You see, the Jews were very ritualistic. 
And one of the issues that Paul had to deal with was circumcision. Gentiles were coming to saving grace, and the Jews were adamant to say, hey, you need to be circumcised. But Paul says here the importance was the law of God. Unto salvation you've come now. And so what is the first law? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, everything that's within you. Love God. Secondly, when you have that intact, love your fellow man. Love your neighbor as yourself. And basically, that takes care of the Ten Commandments now. Because you love God, you can love your neighbor. Because you love God, listen, you can serve that master and you can love that master. And so Paul's just bringing it down to a science here. Look at verse 20. Each one should remain in the situation which he was called in when God called you. What's God called you? If you haven't found out what God's called you to do, seek him. God will speak to you. God will minister to you. But whatever it is that God has you at right now, maybe you're not happy at it. Maybe you are over here at Burger King. Maybe you are at Wendy's. Maybe you're over here in the fields picking chili. Maybe you're at the university and your parents forced you there. But do it as unto the Lord and see what God's going to do. Be content in what God has given us. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Very important to see this. Look at verse 21. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although you can gain your freedom, so do so. So some were Roman slaves there. Six million of them. Some were not. Some were going to be able to get out. Do it as unto the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 22 says, For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman now. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You see, again, the word slavery, we don't like it. But if you look at your B.C. days, you look at the times before you came to Christ, we were a slave to sin. We were a slave to the appetites of the world. We were a slave uh, to the flesh. And so I come to Christ. You come to Christ. Man, I am proud to say I'm a slave of Christ by choice. By choice. Look at verse 23. You were bought at a price. Do Do not become slaves of men. Have you ever just sat there and thought about that you are a purchased possession? That God paid the full price for me. He paid the full price for you. That he paid with his life. He he paid with his death. He paid with that precious blood at Calvary. I'll tell you, it's beautiful when you just think about it. I don't know if you've ever spent time in meditation. And you might inside in your heart, you ask, Lord, would you have died just for me? You know the answer. Yes, I would have died just for you. That's the love of Christ. We have been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. Look at verse 24. Brothers, sisters, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God has called them. Here's something I learned years ago. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Any woman in Christ, she's a new creation. Don't try to change yourself. But come freely to Christ. Come humbly to Christ. Just come the way you are. Watch God transform you. Watch God change you. So many times we try to change. Or sometimes we try to change people. I thank God for Calvary Chapel. I've been with Calvary Chapel for 28 years. And nobody ever told me I needed to put on a suit. Nobody ever told me I couldn't wear flip-flops to church. I grew up in Catholicism. We didn't dare go to church in Levi's. But here's the key. God doesn't look at the outward man. God doesn't look at the outward woman. But God sees the heart. He sees your heart. That's what he wants to see. That's what needs to change. And so many times we want to change the outward man, the outward woman. Well, listen, you need to wear uh, slacks now. You need to wear a white shirt. You need to put on a tie. That's great if you want to do it. Ladies, you need to wear that full-length dress. And some people are put into bondage 
Peter had to deal with this. Ladies, you, some of you shouldn't be wearing so much makeup. Some of you shouldn't be wearing, you know, all the different gold and silver. And, and so we're trying to please God from the outside. Please God in the inside. He'll take care of the outside. Now, I, I think we should do our best and then commit the rest to God. But what if some people can't? What if some people are so poor? So he says, your brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God has called him. Let God transform you. I thank the Lord that not one of my elders ever said, listen, you need to stop drinking. You need to stop smoking. You need to stop cussing. You need to stop. And, you know, the sins that people point out. But as you get into the word of God, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and says, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Not one pastor ever told me that, but the Holy Spirit, as the word of God was taught. And watch God just transform you. Now, serve the Lord. Let's go back to our text now. Become this bond slave. As you were a bond slave in the world, now become a bond slave to Christ. But in your work ethics, serve the Lord. And then he tells you how to. Look at verse 6 now. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. From the heart. Listen to the literal translation. Work hard in your workplace. But not just to please your bosses and your company when they're watching you. Because as slaves of Christ by choice, we are to do the will of God with all of our heart. And as to your company, do it as unto the Lord. How do I do these things? I do it as unto Christ. Listen to the key here. Service without hypocrisy. That's what eye service means which seeks to satisfy the masters, the boss's eyes, make the Lord your first consideration. Please Christ in your workplace. In the Old Testament, we're told that Abraham pleased God and that God called Abraham the friend of God. In the Old Testament, again, we're told that Enoch pleased God and the Bible says that God took him. The whole purpose is to please God. Back in our workplace in Southern California, we worked in this big bay. And the doors were open in the front and the back so we could get the ventilation and such. We had tons of machinery in there. Every morning about 8.30, quarter to 9, it was clockwork. The president of the company, there was three uh, basic uh, workplaces in our company, huge ones. And he would begin in the morning, and he'd go through the first one. He'd go to plant two, then he would finally come up to ours. We were plant three. There was a gentleman that worked right at the door, right at the bay door. Naturally, he saw Graham skates first, and it was a routine. We had it down to a science. As soon as he saw Graham skates, he would take a wrench and just bang on the side. About eight times, that was the signal. And, boy, you should have seen everybody. Wham, 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 wham. Everybody's working. You've been there. I know you. We were there. And as soon as Mr. Skates went out the back door, said his good mornings to everybody, make sure everybody's working, we all went back to the same thing, drinking our coffee, joking, and doing things. That's just natural. But Paul is saying here, now you're a Christian, do it as unto the Lord. You're working for God. You're not working for that company. Yet God's placed you there, whatever it might be. I want you to turn with me to a passage in the Old Testament. Go to 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, verse 16. I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. I recently received a little note in the Agape box, and they say, Pastor Bob, it would be very helpful if you gave us the page number. Well, I'm going to give you the page number. Page 384, but you're going to find out that your Bible and my Bible are different. So you're better off going to the index. So the book of Chronicles, let me set this up. First Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to begin here in verse 16. Just to share a little tidbit here. But King David's getting ready to conclude his ministry. And God's house needs to be built. David desperately wanted to build God's house as the king of Israel. But his hands were bloodied. David was a man of war. 
But the task was going to be given over to his son, Solomon. And so listen to what David says in his prayer here. How we serve, how we do the work of God, how we do our work outside of, you know, the house of God. Do it as unto the Lord. So we begin here, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, look at verse 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is for your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness as for me, as he says, in the uprightness of my heart. I have willingly offered all these things, and now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. Verse 18, I want to just come to the conclusion here. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their hearts towards you. As they were going to begin to build the house of God, Lord, look at our work ethics. Lord, look at our intentions. Lord, see our hearts that we're going to build as building unto you. Not with eye service, that's what we've been speaking of. And, and I think it's important that we see that. And just when they would see King David or King Solomon, they would begin to work. No, no, do it even when they're not there. Wiersbe in his commentary said this about eye service. Eye service is working when only the boss is watching or working extra hard when he is watching to give the impression you're doing a great job. And that's what I was telling you when they would bang on the side of the machinery because the boss was coming. The best way as a Christian to be a good witness is to do your work as unto the Lord. The Bible teaches us eight hours of work, eight hours of pay. Jesus said that the workman is worthy of his hire. Do it as unto the Lord. But Pastor Bob, you don't know my boss. She's evil. He's evil. You know what? Let God take care of your boss. I've worked where bosses, oh man, you don't want to read these scriptures. You'd rather hit them with a wrench or something. But let God take care of them. You do your work as unto the Lord. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 7. How do we serve the Lord? Not with eye service, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to man. Do your work, Christian, with enthusiasm. Do your work with joy. Do your work with meaning. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for man. That's the beauty. That's the joy. The slave at this time that is a good steward would have a good will if he is to fill his place accurately. He worked as unto the Lord. And you study the New Testament, especially the conclusion of the book of Romans. Many of the slaves had come to know Christ. And because of their worth, their work ethics, many of the owners, many of the masters came to know Christ. If that's what a Christian is, that's what I want. That's what I need in my life. And so our witness, our testimony, it is so important. I'm going to give you two verses. I want you to just listen to them. You can take them down if you're taking notes. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, listen to what Paul shares now with the church at Colossae. Basically what we're reading here in Ephesians. He says, whatsoever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. It is so simple. Why do we struggle with it so much? Why is it our nature to work as pleasing the eye of somebody else? We need to work as we work unto the Lord. Oh, it's so important to see this. Now, let's look at the other side. Look at, let me read this verse to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Listen to how Peter describes our work ethic. And Peter uses the word slaves. Slaves, submit. 
Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, listen to Peter now, but also to those who are harsh, who are harsh. Oh, Pastor Bob, my boss is a witch. My boss is awful, ugly. You want me to work for them? As unto the Lord. That's what the scripture says. Now, if you're not content, if you're struggling that much, move on. Get another job. But God's going to test you. Until you learn to work ethics, to work as unto the Lord. And give them over to God. Lord, I'm going to work in this place. I'm going to flip these burgers. But I don't like him. I don't like her. Give me a love and a compassion for them. God will. God will. God is gracious, church. Now, look at verse 8 with me. Go back to our text. And remember the 6 million slaves that would have been in Rome. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. In other words, the Lord will reward you. The, the Lord will reward each and every one of us for the good that we do. Maybe your boss doesn't see it. Your owners don't see it. And they don't acknowledge it. But God sees it. Whether we're slave or free, that's what Paul's saying. Do it as unto the Lord. Now, again, the book of Romans is powerful because uh, there was a lot of slavery there in Rome. And a lot of these were Christian. And they were good workers as working unto the Lord. Now, I want you to turn to a special psalm. Psalm 139. I'll give you a little time to get there. Psalm 139, because we always wonder, okay, listen, I'm working for this company. I'm working for these bosses, and they really don't acknowledge me. They really don't see me. I have these great ideas. I present them, and they just go, you know, nowhere. Do your work as unto the Lord. God sees what you're doing. God knows what you're doing. So many times we think that God is only Sunday morning. But the Bible says God is with me 24-7. God is with you 24-7. And so we serve the Lord from our hearts. Psalm 139 is a special psalm. If you look at some of your commentaries, they call this the all-seeing eye of God. God sees everything, church. Now, uh, to get the best value out of this, I, I went to the New Living Translation, so you might see a little bit of differences in some of the words. But the New Living Translation was very deep for me. It was very meaningful, just kind of drawing out that God sees everything that I do. God sees everything that you do. Be it good or bad, listen. Now, he begins here in Psalm 139. Look at verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. Would you just spend time when you get home this evening, this afternoon, and meditate upon that verse? That God knows everything about me, everything about you. Sometimes we try to hide even things from parents or, or things from, you know, friends. We try to definitely hide sometimes things from our employers and such. But the Bible says here, God knows all things. He says in verse 2, you know when I sit down or I stand up, you know my every thought, he says, when far away. You chart the path ahead of me and, I tell, and, and tell me where to stop and where to rest. Every moment you know where I am. Young people, look at verse 3. You're at the university. You're struggling. You're thinking, why am I here? Why should I continue? It's not worth it. I'm barely passing. I'm barely making it. I'm at this workplace, and it's just leading nowhere. Just listen to where God has you. Maybe it's a training right now. Maybe God's just taking you through this next level. Every moment you know where I am, God knows what you're going through. Look at verse 4. You know what I'm going uh, to say even before I say it, Lord. 
You both proceed and follow me. Your place, your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to know. I can never escape from your spirit. Underline that. So many times we think we can get away with it, but how can I escape God's spirit? In Psalm 51, David says, take not my, your spirit from me. David needed the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, the psalmist says, you are there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, he says, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Have you ever said this to God? Or you might say this to a fellow Christian. You know, I, I just, I'm at the place right now. I don't feel God. The Bible says God will never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible says God is with me. But we have this thing about, I don't feel him right now. The Bible says I don't walk by feelings, but I walk by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He's there. Lord, I don't feel you right now. But my Bible says I walk by faith. I know you're there, Lord. I know you're there. Lord, hear my cries. Back in 1995, I had taken a trip to Germany. We flew there, landed in Frankfurt. Then we took trains and we went all the way uh, up to Leningrad. We went all the way up to Moscow. I went with a missionary friend and we were exploring the mission field. Russia had just opened up for a couple of years there. It was it was really beautiful. They were dying to see Westerners. Well, when I got there, and I still had time to go, my wife had waited long enough to call me. She didn't want to say nothing, but she finally said, listen, I, I didn't want to interrupt your mission trip, but your dad's very sick. And I had to make a decision. And I tried to get back home, but it's not like flying you know, from L.A. back to El Paso. You're in Moscow now. You're in St. Petersburg. You just don't, you know, get a taxi and get back home. It just doesn't work that way. It's time-consuming. And so I recognized this verse. I felt that God was so far away. My dad was so far away, and yet God sustained me. And yes, I was able to come home eventually. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Look at verse 11. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness I cannot hide from you. He says to you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and, and light are both alike to you. You make all the, the delicate inner parts of my body. Listen to this. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. Jeremiah writes and he says, Before you formed me in my mother's womb, you knew me. That's a promise, church. Listen to verse 14. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. So many times, sometimes young people say, well, what am I doing here? What's the whole purpose of life? God wonderfully made you. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, we are saved by grace through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he says in verse 10, we are his workmanship. If you look at the Greek word, we are his poema. We're his handiwork. You're his piece of art. You're his piece of work that God has made you, wonderfully made you. And so many times we question. Now, look at verse 15. You watch me as I was being formed. We're talking about Jeremiah in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. And I get so frustrated because abortionists say it's only a tissue. And my Bible says that God knew Jeremiah before he formed him in his mother's womb. We've all seen the pictures of the little feet and the little hands. And we'll see, you know, the movement. How can we call it a tissue when it's life? Life before us. 
Notice verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me. Oh God, they are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. That's how much God knows you. And when I wake up in the morning, you're still with me. You're still with me. You know, church, you should be in the habit before you go to sleep at night. Husbands, before you say goodnight to your spouse or you finish with your spouse, you say, goodnight, honey, I love you. She says, honey, I love you. The, you know, kiss on the cheek. The whole... Don't forget. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for a wonderful day. Give me a good night's rest. And when you get up in the morning, Lord, good morning. God deserves that from us. Verse 19 says, oh, God. If only you would destroy the wicked. Listen to this now. Get out of my life, you murderers. The psalmist prayed. My Bible says we're to pray for our enemies. We're to pray for those that despitefully use us. Then he explains these enemies. Verse 20. They blaspheme you, Lord. Your enemies take your name in vain. Look at our television. Look at our, our commercials. Look at our movies. Look at our music. They often so easily take God's name in vain. Oh, Lord, verse 21 says, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Should I despise those who resist you? Yes, I hate them with complete hatred, the psalmist says. For your enemies are my enemies. But yet, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Lord, I don't like my boss. I'm going to work as unto the Lord. Lord, you better save that boss. And when you do save him, send him to another church because I don't want to deal with him. I mean, that's just the way we think. I have a theory. This is my theory. Be careful with those people that you dislike. You respectfully tolerate them because you're Christian. But, you know, you see them in the marketplace. Oh, hi, how are you doing? God bless you. And you keep going. Those people that you have struggled with, God's, I'm convinced he's going to put them next to you in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Would you pass the pepper? And you go, oh, my God. Not you. Why not? That's how God operates, church. Listen to how he concludes the psalm now. He says, yes, I hate those or hate them with complete hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Yet Jesus said, pray for your enemies. And then he says in verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. God knows you. God knows me. God sees me. God sees you. He knows everything about me. I have learned in time past, there's people that irritate you and they're Christian. Give them over to God. Lord, give me love and compassion for them. You see, because my mind can still think like the world. I can still retaliate. I can still vengeance. The Bible says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Your job, my job, is to love them, is to pray for them. Yet I read some of the prayers of King David. Lord, my enemies, break their cheekbones, break their teeth. That was David's prayer. I go, all right, that's the prayer I like, Lord. But in all reality, God's changed my heart. I can't pray like that. Lord, they don't like me. But Lord, you said to pray for them. I pray for them. And you know what God said in the Sermon on the Mount? Pray blessings upon them. Pray blessings upon them. Lord, bless my enemy. Not easy to do, but only through God we can do it. Now we want to finish up our text. Let's go back to verse 9 now. Remember, we've been talking about this place of a bond service. Slaves by choice. Serve as unto the Lord. Serve as unto the Lord, obviously, in church. That's not a problem. But serve as unto the Lord in your workplace. Serve as unto the Lord over here at the university. Serve as unto the Lord uh, even when you go on your vacation. Serve as unto the Lord when you're at the marketplace. Serve as unto the Lord when you're at that restaurant. 
You see, we can't hide from these things. Serve as unto the Lord. Listen to verse 9. Now he switches gears just in verse 9. Now he goes after the bosses. And he throws some responsibility their way. And you masters, he says, do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And so Paul goes to the other side. Okay, we've been dealing with the slaves. Now you masters, you owners. The same goes for you. You employers. You must treat your slaves, your bondservants right, uh, without threats. Here's the key. You both have the same master in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous responsibility if you own a business. Tremendous responsibility uh, if you're the supervisor of that company and, and you, you know, you're in charge of this, this whole block here. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility as unto the Lord first and then to your company, then to your bosses. And you work as unto the Lord. My Bible tells me in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, listen to this. There is no favoritism in God. There is no partiality in God. There's no respect of persons in God. There is no, listen to this word, prejudice in God. God sees the same. I like that. Here in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, but all, he says there, in God there is no prejudice, no favoritism, no partiality. Those are all the translation. There's no respecter of persons in God, but all equal in God's eyes. Men, women. Jew, Gentile, slaves, free man. No partiality. That's the God that we serve, church. God is so gracious, so loving, so kind. Each one of us one day will stand before the throne room of God. Imagine standing there as, as a boss, as an owner, and how did you treat your people? As a worker, as a servant, as a bond slave, how did you work? In your workplace. This is the exhortation here. You see, we're all the same in God's eyes. Turn with me to this last passage. We're going to conclude here. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29. Paul was a stickler in this area because he was a very strong Jew. Paul belonged to the Sanhedrin. He was a religious leader. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was a very learned man. He was considered a doctor of the law. Paul made a lot of decisions. On the road to Damascus, he had letters in hands. He's going to Damascus. He's going to bring back Christians and place them on trial, even some to death. He had already consented previously to the death of young Stephen. And so imagine now, Paul recognizing being a son, being a daughter, being an heir, listen, a joint heir with Christ. Because God is no respecter of man. So Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 26. For you are all sons, you are all daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, this is not water baptism as we understand it. This is being baptized into the faith. You are a Christian now. You are born again of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3 has taken place. You're no longer your own person. You've come to Christ. You've relinquished the world. You've accepted Christ. You've asked Christ to come into your life. And so the beauty here. For as many of you, he's speaking to those at Galatia, the churches there, of you that were baptized into Christ have put on Christ now. And then listen to his explanation. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Now, last week we shared, back in Genesis chapter 2, in creation, God placed the man first. But there's no difference between the woman and the man. We're all equal in Christ. The responsibility that man has as the prophet, priest, king of his home. Greater responsibility. 
for the longest time, many women thought Paul as a chauvinist. And yet Paul, he had to come to that place of freedom. In Christ, we're free. We're not in bondage anymore. He concludes, now look at verse 29. And if you are Christ, then, he says, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. You see, God gave Abraham the promise, the covenant promise. And that was to go to the children of Israel. That promise to Israel is still intact. But Israel in a whole has rejected Christ the Messiah. Israel in a whole is waiting for their Messiah. And we know, according to the book of Revelation, it will be the Antichrist. But God has given the promise, the place of heirship that he's given to the Jews has also been given to the Gentiles. On your own, I want you to study Romans chapter 11. There in Romans chapter 11, Paul says, we're the grafted in branch. The Gentiles have come into the olive tree. In a sense, we're spiritual Israel. The same blessings, the same promises that it was given to the Jews has been given to us. Oh, that's beautiful. There's no difference in God. In fact, God doesn't see male or female. God doesn't see color. God doesn't see, you know, ethnic background. God sees you. God sees me. God sees our hearts, church. And so here's Paul coming to that place now. He thought he was somebody as, you know, a Pharisee. He, he, he shared in his testimony, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I boasted on the eighth day I was circumcised. That was Paul. Letters in hand, he wants to bring back Christians from Damascus. Remember, he was blinded. On the road to Damascus, God got a hold of him. And he had to be taken to Ananias' house. We know that Paul was a fearful man because Ananias was afraid of him. <laughs> and the Lord said, comfort him. Lay hands on him. I'm going to heal this man. He has much work for me to do. Ananias says to the Lord, when he sees me, I'm paraphrasing it, when he sees me, he's going to capture me. But we know that God brought Paul to that place of, listen, brokenness. Brokenness. Maybe, how can you serve the Lord? How can you serve your employer as a bond servant, as a bond slave, if you first haven't come to Christ? We need to serve God, but I can't serve him unless I'm born again of the Holy Spirit, unless I'm a Christian first. Not by name, but it better be in my heart. 